Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, it is January 19th. Are you ready to recap the season? I am. Uh, Let me first apologize to our listeners because what we said before the national championship game, the last time we recorded, was Mm -hmm. that we would not go a long time without recording again. Uh, we went almost two weeks. So in all sorry terms, it's really not, not been bad. that long for this podcast. <laughs> right. I agree. I agree. <laughs> and we were talking about, you know, hitting record late last week and didn't really happen. We were like, yeah, we'll regroup next week. And here we are. I will say, you know, whatever energy I had last week uh, for podcasting yes. was completely sapped by uh, the result of the national championship game. Which, if you're okay with it, we don't ever have to talk about it again. Yeah, I mean, I think that's okay. <laughs> seems reasonable. I think it's common. It seems reasonable. It's common courtesy, I think, to not talk about it for your sake. I, I will tell you, um, and, and I tell you this, A, because I think it's an entertaining story, and B, there is the slightest chance that one of my coworkers is listening to this right now, and I think he would find this okay. extremely entertaining as well. Um, fun story. Um, the evening of the national title game, at like 11.30 p.m. Central Time, so like 12.30 Eastern Time, like right after the game goes final, basically, um, I have uh, Teams installed on my phone, which honestly may be a little bit of a mistake. Um, but, you know, you do what you, you got to do as a professional. You know, you're trying to be available as much as possible, the whole thing. Um, my phone buzzes at like 11.15. I'm about to lay in bed. Uh-oh. And I, and I pick it up and it's uh it's my boss from work. And I have a Teams like message, Skype message basically in Teams that says go dogs. And at the time, I decided, you know what? I'm not going to respond to this right now. I have Good a good idea. I have a one-on-one with you tomorrow. I think I know where you're coming from on this. But uh Basically, there was a slight amount of confusion, I guess, on her end that uh, she she thought that maybe I went to Georgia, oh, and not Georgia Tech, uh, oh. To which I had to explain to her, you know, like you know, you have multiple kids who have gone to Texas A and M. Like this is like if Texas won the national title, not Texas A and M. Um, and then she, yeah, there was several messages of, oh my god, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to, like the whole thing. I was like, I look, like, it's fine, I get it, but. At the end of the day, that's that's all I want to talk about with the national title game. Um, yeah. yeah, Georgia Tech. Yeah, you were about to rough about day. to grab your loaded. Sh- yeah, you're about to grab your loaded shotgun from the nightstand, <laughs> but instead you you realized that she had just made a mistake, and that she wasn't trolling you while holding your salary over your head. I'm a forgiving individual, Mike. 
forgiving. Um, uh, yeah, that's probably good. I'm glad you put the gun away too, because you know what, Joey, it's going right. to be okay. The, uh, it's going to be okay. You know, and, and, you know, normally I wouldn't have a gun, but I do live in Texas and it's like legally required that nobody ever be more than like eight feet away as the crow flies from a gun at any point. So I've I, watched you know, Walker, Texas Rangers citizen. before, you know, <laughs> I've watched enough of Chuck Norris to okay, well, know that that's how the South works. Yeah. You know, you get it. You get it. You got it. Uh, Mike, anyways, as we were talking about ACC football, um, we, uh, you know, now that it's January 19th, we record the evening of, uh, it, we should probably recap the season. Uh, we promised this to the people. We have already uh, recapped the bowl games, but I think, you know, to, to take a step back and let's just look back on the season that was. Um, we have a number of different things that we have kind of, uh, you know, we want to take a, a look back at some of the preview content that we did, um, some of the picks that we made along the way, and just kind of talk about, like, how did it go? You know, were we good? Were we bad? Were we not? I, you know, I don't know. So uh, let's start. Mike, with the game that we played all season, you remember the game? I remember it fondly. What, what did we call it? How do how do we refer to it? Van Gorder coin, Joey. It's Van Gorder coin. We made Van Gorder coin wagers all throughout the season, Mike. And so in the past, what we've always done were locks, uh, locks of the week. You know, there's certain games that we were just ultra confident in. Um, and then this this year we we added on Van Gorder coin wagers. So there were games that we so first of all any game that we decided to lock up we made Van Gorder coin wagers on a b we decided you know there were maybe other games on the slate that we we feel confident in and we feel strongly about but we don't quite want to lock up so we have certain wagers that we want to put on it. We started the season, Mike, as I've told the people every preview episode all season we started the season with 500 van gorder coin a piece and from there we wanted to see you know putting wagers on these games on the on the spreads and on the totals and occasionally on a money line um who who's going to come out with the most and so mike do you know who won the van gorder coin wagers for this season would that be me that would be incorrect Oh, I lost. You lost, Mike. <laughs> Believe it or not, I, I you led lost. the entire year and lost. Uh, not the entire year. It was very back and forth. Actually, um, there were there were multiple times that we took the lead. We we went into bowl previews, and I'm I'm not kidding here. We went into bowl previews, and you had a lead of uh, six point nine Van Gorder coin. Nice, nice, um, and. We, I believe we recapped the bowl wagers, uh, the bowl games, and I was under the impression that we had basically wagered the same thing on all the games, and so therefore, well, I mean, you kept your lead because whatever we won or lost was equal on either side. Uh, that ended up not being true, Mike. Um, and um, what happened here, and I'm double-checking because there's something that looks kind of funky. No, yeah, okay, this is right. Um what happened was we were largely on the same page for bowls, but slightly different. Um, so we both had 20 on Clemson, 15 on Michigan State, and 15 on the over for Louisville Air Force, uh, those bowl games. Those were all correct. Um, and, and in fact, neither of us missed a single pick in bowl season uh, as it came to Van Gorder coin wagers. Mike, the difference came... 
that I put 15 Van Gorder coin on Wake Forest to cover against Rutgers and you put nothing on that game? And lo and behold, the Wake Forest Steeman Deeks beat the Rutgers Scarlet Knights by more than 14 and a half points and your boy won Van Gorder coin wagers on the season by a final score of 40 Four, sorry, 450.05 to 447.85. Joey Weaver, the 2021 Basketball Conference Podcast Van Gorder Coin Wager Champion. Thank you. Thank you. Thank I, I appreciate Thank you to the Academy. Mike, believe it or not, your boy won. Come get it. The one comment I have about this is that if I am going to lose my Van Gorder coin competition because I wouldn't bet against the Rutgers Scarlet Knights, I get what I deserve. I get what I deserve. Honestly, Mike, I kind of couldn't believe when we were doing it that uh, (laughs) that you were trying to ride with the Scarlet Knights. I couldn't believe it. And you know know what the real kicker is, this Joey? Is that in real life, I actually bet on Wake Forest. <laughs> so <laughs> I directly contradicted myself. Well, and it, you know, I, I remember back to watching that game, and basically, I mean, we're we're sitting around the house. My parents had come into town, and we're just like, kind of like idly, like doing a couple of chores and like cooking a little bit of food and like preparing to like just watch the playoff game later. And then had like the Wake Rutgers game on TV, and it's like almost halftime, and it's like, why is Wake only up in like? you know, by a, a touchdown, like shouldn't wake be killing them by now. Right. And then in the second half wake absolutely ran away with it. And yeah, that was the cathartic moment. But you know, up until then it was like, uh, am, am I the idiot here? Like, I don't know. Maybe I, I, I really just think I'm the idiot. So <laughs> I think we're, we got that all figured out now. This point. Mike, I, I don't want you to feel like the idiot for long. Um, I, so I did win by two and a quarter Van Gorder coin. And by the way, again, we started with 500. I won with 450.05. So uh, <laughs> I won by only losing like five units on the year if, if a unit is 10 Van Gorder coin. So yeah, we were uh, pushing money around. Yeah, basically. Um, but it's interesting, though, if you look at the the trend over time, like we both lost – I mean, a substantial amount in the first half of the season. And then in the second half, like kind of came back. So like it was bad early on and then got a lot better, you know, as the season went on. So that, I don't know, it's maybe a little bit of a consolation. We, we dialed in, figured it out. That was the whole thing. Um, right. right. Mike, perhaps more importantly, I think what we need to point out is not only did we make Van Gorder coin wagers, but as mentioned, we made uh, locks of the week in each preview podcast yep. locking up particular games. We felt the most strongly about. And so if you go back and you tally up, how did those locks go? Mike, uh, do you want to know what the results were? I, I do. And I'm very curious to hear what those were. Well, Mike, brace yourself because your locks oh, no. went 16 and 17 on the year. Oh, okay. 500. Well, and, and, and if you look at the actual bet amount on those locks, you went like plus f- four Van Gorda coin. 
So like, I mean, I'm just you know, making the people money, right? Sure. That's that's what I, I Sparknotes version. Literally, sure, I went 16 down. and 17, but I I made the people money, right? And there that's that's my story. I'm sticking to it. I don't care if it was four dollars, four cents, whatever. I, I I made the people money. That's you, what you come here for. If you put 500 Vanguard coin in before the season, and all you did was bet Mike's locks at the amount that he bet them, you came away with 504 dollars. So like. I, you're richer than when you started, and if you put in a retirement account, seven percent interest over like forty years, you know, you have more than five hundred four. You, you would have literally like five hundred and forty dollars by the time you retire. It'd be great. So, <laughs> good on you. Uh, After one grocery trip, you're you're now on the streets. <laughs> you're now homeless. Yeah, great. Yeah, you're now uh, homeless. <laughs> Literally one grocery trip now. Uh, Mike, on the other hand, uh, your boy overall finished uh, 17 and 12 on uh, locks okay. of the week. Nice. Uh, nice. Up, Very nice. Uh, spreads plus 55.25 and down 19.05 on the totals. So uh, something like plus, you know, 36 or so Van Gorder coin on the year. So again, Joey, Joey can basically winner. buy an extra loaf. Yeah, you, you can basically buy an extra loaf of bread. <laughs> <laughs> like fancy bread, bread maybe like yeah like <laughs> like the the white wheat or something <laughs> 15 and 9 on spreads for me two and not total wonder for me. <laughs> not wonder bread <laughs> no 15 and 14 on spreads for mike one and three on totals for mike um yeah uh interesting year uh, I don't know. I mean, it was like a mildly profitable year, depending on how you want to slice it up. Um, and ultimately, that's why you listen to this podcast is because we make you money depending on how you look at it. With the important caveat yeah. of depending on how you look at it. <laughs> yeah. And I guess that, that includes and, and crosses over to the fact that I really hope you didn't bet any ACC futures, like who would win the Coastal, who would win the Atlantic, who would win the Conference, because if you rode with Joey and I's picks, you were really wrong. You were Thank incorrect. God we didn't bet that, to be sure. <laughs> we would we would not have enough money for an expensive loaf of bread. No, 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 that money would be gone. Um Yeah. I, I guess let's just go there. Uh, Mike, I, I could I mean, I could pull up the sheet of what did we pick before the season, but I don't think I have to. I think we know what we picked and none of it was right. Yeah, so we have to contemplate now what was the worst ACC coastal champion pick. <laughs> was it was it North Carolina? That was your pick. Or was it Miami, which was my pick? Now, I will say that yes. Miami technically finished with a better record in North Carolina, technically, but Miami didn't play their bowl game and uh, North Carolina had greater expectations, but I feel worse about picking Miami than you should about North Carolina. And here's why Joey Miami never wins the coastal. Mm -hmm. And I knew that. And I told you before the season, I said, you know what? I don't want to be that guy who just says Miami's going to win the coastal because they're the most talented, but you know what? I'm going to be that guy. And I said that, and then I picked them anyway. And then that blew up in my face, basically on the second drive of the Alabama game in the opener. So I'm like, this team's not any good. And then D.R. King got hurt. And actually, that that wasn't the worst possible thing that could happen. Um, given the Tyler, Tyler Van Dyke is out. not bad. Uh, better than D.R. King for that particular offense. I mean, I'm not going to slander D.R. King's college career. I'm, I'm 
not going to do that. But I think Tyler Van Dyke might be a little better fit for that offense mm-hmm. with Brett Lashley running it. Now he's gone, so we'll see. But um, yeah, I feel horribly about my Miami pick. And the North Carolina pick was bad too, but I wouldn't feel quite as bad about that considering they had Sam Howell and they had a lot of really high expectations and Matt Brown and everybody was picking Carolina. So I wouldn't feel too badly about that pick, Joey, even though it was horrible and it being bad. Yeah. I, I mean, it was clearly really wrong. Um, and, and so on that level, like I can't feel good about it on another level, Mike, your Miami hurricanes finished five and three in conference, which is good for second in the coastal division. I mean, yes, Yes. So at least there's that. Like, they almost won the division by that metric. <laughs> sure. Sure. But, but, yes, my Miami pick by letter of the law was better than your Carolina pick, but I feel worse about it. I don't I don't know what to make of my North Carolina pick, honestly. like, I mean, don't pick them next year. I, <laughs> no, I won't. I won't do that. Uh, th- like, the logic makes sense to me. Uh, like in, looking at the, the the level of talent on the roster, looking at the trajectory they've been on, the quarterback that they had, like you know some of the young defensive talent that was coming back, like all of that, like it all makes sense. And then to watch what that team turned into, like what on earth Crazy. happened? You know, yeah, like I know. And this is one of the interesting things I think you get into with certain types of coaches, where like. I, do I really truly believe that Mac Brown is like deep in the details of what does a game plan look like and how do we structure our practices and like a lot of those like technical things that I think really translate to the field on Saturdays? No, I don't. And and so I guess looking at what we got here, you know, they finally fired Jay Bateman, the defensive coordinator, but just. I'm just disappointed, I guess, I, is the biggest thing I can say. Yeah. Um, I I expected better, and I'm just I'm – sh- I'm more shocked than anything of, like, I thought Sam Howell really had something. Um, you know, I thought the last two years watching some of the throws that he made and some of the, the presence that he had on the field and decisions and, and just a lot of those things, I, I thought he is like a – you know, he's a superstar in the making. Like I thought he was the player of the year candidate in the, in the ACC. I thought he would be one of the first two or three quarterbacks off the board in the draft. And maybe he still will be, but that's not like a definitively, you know, really good quarterback prospect thing as much as a best of the questionable guys, you know, I I, I don't know. So I just, the way that North Carolina just got, somehow even worse at protecting him and he got so locked on to just one receiver and the defense not only didn't get better but maybe even got worse like the whole thing just was not at all what I expected from North Carolina this year so I I feel bad about that pick with the way the things turned out but I look back on it and I understand the logic that went into it and it still makes sense to me it just it's just kind of crazy that it none of it worked out even a little bit in the way that I thought it might. I mean, I thought that North Carolina would have a hard time replacing all the skill talent on offense, and I did think it was a leap to suggest, not, not you, but other people were suggesting that Carolina's defense would be like a top 20-type defense after really not being very good in, in 2020. 
So I thought that was kind of a leap, Joey. And then when you take a step back, though, and you look at how North Carolina performed, I said in the preview that, hey, I don't necessarily agree with you that North Carolina is going to win the division, right? Mm-hmm. I said I didn't agree, but I did say they would be in the mix. Mm-hmm. It's not like I said, yeah, they're not going to win the division and they're going to go six and six or, you know, six and seven you know, after the bowl game. I, I looked at this team and I thought, I think there are flaws and I think that there, there's a team in Miami that's more talented. And I thought that Miami would win the division because they had more talent. I thought Carolina was losing a lot and it would be hard to overcome the loss of 2000 yard rushers and a bunch of receivers. And, and it was, but I'm still kind of shocked because I thought that Carolina would be like a eight and four with a five and three ACC record, you know, basically kind of like Miami, honestly. I thought that's where Carolina would finish. I thought they'd be like second or third in the Coastal, and they'd be competitive and be in a lot lot of close games, and they would lose a few of them that they probably would have won a year ago, you know, during COVID, Uh, you know, with with the talent they had on that roster with, you know, different circumstances with players available and that sort of thing. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I didn't think Carolina would win the division, but I also didn't believe they would be as bad or underperform as much as they did. That was a surprise to me. Yeah. Well, and I mean, credit to Miami that I think my concern with them was some combo of Derek King's health, um, some of the losses that they had had from previous years on defense, and just overall not really believing in the coaching staff of Manny Diaz and Rhett Lashley and some of those guys. You were mostly right. Well, I was until I wasn't. Um, you know, and, and credit to to that coaching staff because Miami, I thought, was absolutely dead in the water deep into September. I mean, they had they got drubbed by Alabama. They barely beat Appalachian State, Appalachian State, whatever, however we're going to pronounce that, on their own field, uh, and they just got smoked by Michigan State on their own field. And then finally, you know, you beat Central Connecticut, fine. You go and you host Virginia on your own field, and you miss a field goal at the gun to lose that game. You go to North Carolina, lose that game, just kind of close. And I mean, you're at that point, you're two and three. Uh, you look like a mess. And ultimately, it was like, okay, so you've got this freshman kid, you know, Van Dyke in here playing quarterback. Uh, Manny Diaz is on a ripping hot seat, uh, right. like. You know, his ass is fully seared at this point. His his ass was grinning. Yeah. Like final two minutes of the UVA game and they missed the field goal. I was like, man, this guy is so toast. And then he he had like he coached well. Do you remember? I can remember in my mind clearly the look on Manny Diaz's face walking off the field on ESPN on that Thursday night against Virginia. It's like that's a that's the look of a man who knows that his time is basically done. Yeah, like uh, it's yeah. it's over. Yeah. Um, and by the way, that's all as Derek King is like, you know, might have maybe retorn his ACL or like, you know, is right pretty much certainly out for the year. Like, you know, whatever hope you had is is fading quickly. Um, for that team to finish five and one in their final six games, and to you know, for Tyler Van Dyke to make the developments that he made and to shift that offense's focus the way that they did, inc- I, just credit 
credit where it's due to that Miami coaching staff and, and to Rhett Lashley. And, and even, you know what? Give credit to Manny Diaz, too. Like, that's way yeah, more than I, I thought this team was capable of, that program was capable of. Um, credit where it's due. Like, they, you know, they pulled it together in a way that I, I, I was convinced they were going to miss a bowl game. And then all of a sudden, they rip off all those. I mean, just well done. Well done. I, I thought it was a really good coaching job by Manny Diaz in the second mm-hmm. half of the year. Um, to the point where I didn't think he deserved to lose his job. Now I understand why Miami pulled the trigger because they were like, oh, we can actually get Mario Cristobal. Yeah. Now, small aside, the, the the search and how it was conducted and, you know, they're negotiating a contract with Cristobal while Manny Diaz's staff is out on the road recruiting. I'm like, man, that is probably not the best look. Who cares? I mean, that's like a... It sucks for Manny Diaz, but at the same time, like Manny Diaz also kind of did the same thing to Temple <laughs> a few years ago. So, I like, mean, really, I don't. Love it's grimy. That comparison. It's also, I mean, it's it's grimy, Joey. But at the same time, like, if you're Miami and you're seeing kind of how this is playing out, you're like, all right, we gotta we gotta go get this guy and negotiate and see if we can get him in the door, and you're feeling pretty good about it and it leaks to the media. That's a small price you have to pay for like a, a new cycle. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Miami botched their coaching search, but did they really, they got their guy, right? Yeah. So did they really botch it? I mean, ethically, is it there, is bad. there an issue with it? Sure. Did it look bad? Sure. But if Cristobal is winning 10 or 11 games a year and Miami is consistently in the ACC championship again, is anybody going to be bitching and moaning about the fact that Manny Diaz lost his job and how he lost? No, nobody's going to talk about that anymore. Yeah, not really. Just the way it works. It's just the way the business works. I mean, I, I don't love it either. I don't love the ethics of it, but like I, I look at this from an outside perspective, and it kind of is what it is. Well, and 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 not to get too far off the reservation in terms of making references here, but like I live in Houston and. I just watched the Texans fire David Culley after a year. And I mean, that's a guy who was a career like assistant, like maybe associate head coach, but like had never been a coordinator, never been a coordinator. He was on nobody's radar as like a head coaching candidate and all that stuff. And finally the Texans hired him and everyone's kind of like, really like kind of like roll your eyes kind of thing. Like seriously. And then his, his, you know, the first year they go out there and they were probably like a, you know, the win total is probably like two and a half or something like that. And they go in four games and they look kind of competitive at times where you didn't think they should be. And they won more than they should have and all this stuff. And then they fire David Culley after one year. And you're just like, okay, wait a minute. Like you brought in this highly unqualified guy had no expectation. Any of it was going to work. He did better than you thought he was going to do. And you fired him after one year. And by the way, that one year, that you fired him after he's, he's now guaranteed like $22 million or something stupid like that. Like what on yeah. earth? And, but the point is Mike, I can only feel so bad for David Culley when he's making $22 million for one year of work. Like, yeah, yeah. That I, feel and bad the fact for him. That I only feel so bad for him. <laughs> that and the fact that like Brian Flores had just gotten fired from the dolphins and it's like, man, he seems like a prime candidate to go coach there in Houston. And it's like, you know, I think there are some extenuating circumstances there too, where all of a sudden there are some guys who 
maybe ownership thinks are interested in that job that come available. So very similar to the Miami situation. It's like, yeah, Manny Diaz did a fine job at Miami. Did the season get off to a great start? No, it didn't. You know, did they lose some games they should have won? Yeah. That UVA mm-hmm. game really sticks out to me. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. really lose to App State. And it was a, it was a tough start to the year and, and you had injuries and, you know, the, the team rallied, Van Dyke, you know, you look like you have something Tyler Van Dyke, everything's looking on the up and up. And then, but wait a second, we can get Mario Cristobal, a top yeah. 10 coach in the sport. And it's like, okay, if we really, think we have a shot at him, I understand why you pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I guess that's that. Miami. We got, we got the Atlantic division winner really wrong. The Wait, the what? The, the uh, Atlantic division winner. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. I forgot. Uh, there, there's another division in the, in the ACC. I for, you know, easy yeah. to forget. Um, uh, yeah. All right. So, so let's put well, it this way. Well, that's because like, one team usually one team usually wins it every year, and they didn't. Well, yeah. So, so let's put it this way. You know, we have uh, we have a little rundown. Pull pull back the curtain a little bit. We have a little rundown we wanted to go by. Uh, we had Van Gordercoin results. We had lock of the week results. We had biggest disappointment. I think either of our Coastal Division champion picks would qualify yeah. there. Biggest, I don't discriminate. Biggest surprise. I I don't mean to speak for you, but I'm just guessing that yours is the same as mine, which is some combo of Wake Forest jumping up and winning the Atlantic Division while Clemson screws around and is just like barely functional enough to like threaten to win the division this year. Like, Wow. Yeah, and I think the biggest individual surprise is that DJU kind of sucked. I mean, not to take shots, but he was not very good. And we thought that it was going to be kind of a seamless transition where, all right, Trevor Lawrence goes out, but don't worry, Clemson's got another five-star coming in. Like, it's mm-hmm. fine. And we saw how DJU Yankalalei played last year, um, particularly in that Notre Dame game where he threw for like four or 500 yards. And, Man, I was you know, when all Trevor Lawrence in. With COVID. I was all in on DJU after that game. Like, yeah, Joey's getting Joey's getting tweets favorited by Big Dave. I mean, it was, Big Dave. it was a wild time. Yeah, we were on a we were on a little bender there. It was I want, something. I want to be Big Dave when I grew up. I, you could be. You could be Big <laughs> Big Big Joey. Big Big Joe. I'm not I'm big not Joseph. Samoan enough to be Big Dave when I grew up. Uh, you could be anything you want these days, Joey. So <laughs> it's on the table. Uh, I'll tweet that. But yeah, it was. Yeah, but yeah, but it's it was a surprise. It was a, it was a surprise that Clemson performed as poorly as they did. Now the defense was really good, mm-hmm. but it, I mean, I'll tell you what. Like coming out of the bowl game, you know, seeing Clemson play well in the in the Cheez It Bowl, and and you know the it was essentially a, a beatdown of of Iowa State. You know, it was never too too competitive, and they, they scored a couple touchdowns late to make it interesting. But I'm like, this is. Clemson's down year is is ten wins, and it wasn't pretty. And if I flash back to early September, and I think back to that opener against eventual national champion Georgia, and I and I saw Clemson losing that game ten to three, and the one touchdown was a pick six at DJU threw. And if we go back and listen to our recap of that game, I think you and I would be pretty shocked at some of the things we said, dude. You know, that game now in, at a full like, season of data. Take like just step back from the entire college football season as a whole and just the way that everything all turned out. 
I feel like that game in particular is one like one of the biggest just like anomaly like enigma games of the entire season of like we do realize how close Georgia was to losing that game, right? Like they won also, the, I, I get that they, they won the national title, but you realize that Clemson held that offense without a touchdown the entire like it just Okay, all right. All right anyways. Yeah. Also well, also you can look at it the other way and you could say mid October Clemson would have lost that game by like four scores. Sure. Yeah. No, they yeah. I mean think about like think about okay, this is this is kind of around the same time frame. I just threw like mid October out there, but like think about what Georgia did to Arkansas. <laughs> right? Like yeah. Arkansas was playing decent football and that game was over with like six minutes to go in the first quarter, the game was over. Right. Mm-hmm. And think about how Clemson struggled with NC State and lost and like lost to Wake. And it's like, oh, my God, Clemson. And it's not like I don't say any of this from like a I, I'm not trying to like legitimize Clemson as much as point out. Like Georgia was kind of an incomplete team in so many ways and just basically never ran up against anybody that was a bad matchup for them outside of the two games against Alabama. Like, right. To the point that I would point out, you know, frankly, you know, just since, you know, just you and I talking, Mike, and nobody's going to hear this. um, Frankly, I think if, if it's a 75 degree and sunny day in Ann Arbor, when Ohio state plays Michigan, Mm hmm. I kind of think Ohio State beats Michigan. Mm-hmm. And I kind of think if Ohio State gets into the Big Ten championship game, they beat Iowa. And I kind of think if Ohio State beats Iowa, they get into the playoff. And I kind of think if Ohio State gets in the playoff, they beat Georgia. And I kind of think they beat Alabama. And I kind of think Ohio State would be the national champion. Tell me I'm wrong. That's like four, four what ifs, but yeah. Does any of that not make sense to you? No. No. But just telling you right now. You heard it here first I, on the Basketball Conference podcast on January 19th. Yeah. I mean, I disagree only from the standpoint of when I watched like the full season of football in the Big 10, I was pretty confident Michigan was better than Ohio State. Hmm. Just Ohio State's flaws defensively just they had some issues and, and they got better as the year went on, you mm-hmm. know, for sure. They, they definitely got better and there weren't Ohio state wasn't fraudulent or anything. I mean, they were mm-hmm. very, very good. I mean, a top, top six team in the country for sure, but I was never really too confident in their defense. So when the Michigan game happened, was I a little bit surprised that, that Michigan took it to Ohio state? Yeah, I was, but only from the standpoint of that was like, Harbaugh's like hill that he couldn't quite get over. Yeah. Right. He couldn't he couldn't beat Ohio State. So look, that's that's what made that more surprising. But when you look at the teams on paper, you know, if that Michigan team wasn't going to beat Ohio State, then what Michigan team was oh, yeah, Harbaugh. Yeah. So it, it made it made sense to me just from a X's and O standpoint that they won that game. But mm-hmm. it was more to do with I, I thought this was a really good Michigan team and Ohio State had some Laws and, and Michigan just was not ready in the semifinal. You know, everybody likes to make fun of, I don't know, Notre Dame 
uh, Notre Dame has recently stopped losing like that mm. in, <laughs> in the college football playoff. That, They've been a bit more competitive. That game did feel like a bit of a game script thing where Michigan needed yeah. to catch a couple of breaks and Georgia caught every one of them. Like and it just got away from it got yeah, away from Michigan totally. and they are not built. They are not built to and first of all, Georgia's defense is really good. So that's mm-hmm. that's one part of it. But Michigan's offense by itself is just not built to to come back from three scores down. I mean, they like right. to run the ball with their two really good running backs and they like to, you know, get their quarterback to play action situations. It just was not going to happen. McNamara never had a shot. Which brings us back to Wake Forest, who we knew was going to win the Atlantic division and um, was not a surprise at all. We thought, uh, hey, come on. We thought Wake would be competitive in the Atlantic. We didn't yes. think they'd beat Clemson. Like, we, we knew, we, we said Clemson was far and away the team to beat the Atlantic. And, but, but we had Wake as the second or third best team, depending on where, where we slotted them. We thought BC yeah. would be better, but Jerkovic got hurt. But we had Wake as, as a good competitive team. Um, mm-hmm. We didn't think they'd be quite this good, but we didn't expect they'd be Clemson. And, Clemson would be down this year, and NC State performed pretty well, I thought, too. I mean, I'll, I'll say this about Wake Forest, and, and I, I, I mean, I love them to death, and I, I'm excited for them and, and the whole thing. I got to look and find I, – I wrote it down somewhere when we made picks in the preseason of uh, just, you know, what did we think they were going to do. I believe their win total was seven, and I believe I took the under just because I felt like seven was about right. And I thought that, you know, something less than that was more likely than eight and four or better. Right. Um, but, man, the way that they, I mean, they, they pulled out multiple wins this year that I really, and just from a combo of things. I mean, I think Wake was better than I thought they would be. Uh, I think that um, there were a couple of teams that, you know, like I didn't think that they necessarily were, were going to beat NC State the way that they did. Right. Um, right. There were there were multiple occasions of that where uh, I think Wake outperformed my expectations for sure. If we're talking about biggest surprise in the ACC, I think it's got to be Wake Forest for me personally. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's got to be Wake. Mm-hmm. I mean, I and you know for the same reason, like if you looked over to the coastal, like you were you were more bullish on Pitt than I was coming into the year. Um, you know, you bet they're over when total what was a seven and a half. Yes. That, yeah. It sounds right. Yeah. Seven and a half, whatever, whatever it was, whatever it was, you bet the over and won it. So you were a little bit more bullish on Pittsburgh, but Pitt is always that team in, in the coastal where like, if it's, if there's going to be a year where there are going to be teams kind of up and down and you don't really know which way to turn, like Pitt is like a consistent, we used to make fun of NC State on the podcast for being the bar. Like Pitt is now the bar, mm-hmm. so um, they're it. So the fact that they jumped up and won the division, I think the only thing that was like most surprising is that Kenny Pickett was a Heisman finalist. Yeah. So that we didn't anticipate that necessarily, but we thought Pitt. You, you in particular thought thought Pitt would be pretty good. Wake Forest stepping up, beating NC State, beating Clemson, winning the Atlantic is a bigger surprise to me because Clemson's in the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I, it's right. Um, and it's I found it, actually, by the way. Our season previews, uh, 
you, me, uh, both of us had Wake Forest at seven and five, as did mm-hmm. Connor O'Neill. Uh, Connor O'Neill, all all three of us had Wake Forest at seven and five in the pre in the uh, regular season. Uh, they ended up what ten and two. 10 to yep something like that so yeah outperformed expectations by far um so that's the biggest surprise biggest disappointment we've covered um what's the what's the one thing that happened mike that you feel like we kind of should have expected um that we really kind of did not anything stick out to you everything looks Pretty uh, pretty straightforward, kind of along the lines of what we thought was going to happen to me. The only the the only thing, and it's more individualized again, not on a team standpoint, but I, I guess I guess we we maybe should have seen Kenny Pickett's jump coming, but like mm-hmm. on the other hand, I don't really feel that bad about slandering him before the season. You know, and not not. I, I thought Kenny Pickett was fine. I never thought he was like a bad quarterback, but I didn't think he was going to be Heisman good. But he did return a lot. Of t- like if you take a step back, there was a lot of talent returning. They had a good defense coming back. Like there was, it, there were some things to point to with Pitt, and you were much closer with the prediction than I was. But maybe we should have been a little bit more bullish on Kenny Pickett because of the talent he had returning around him versus Sam Howell, where we praised him up and down and he had like nothing returning, you know, they had Ty Chandler coming in from the portal and that was real. It's Josh Downs at receiver, but that was really about it versus Kenny Pickett, who had a bunch of weapons at receiver and tight end and, you know, a decent group of running backs. And we did not treat him with the same level of, respect just because Sam Howell had performed better with better weapons in the past. Yeah. So we probably should have given Kenny Pickett a little bit more credit than we did. Maybe. And it's, it's interesting because I, I can remember being mid to late September and uh, do you remember? Um, well, earth Wind and fire for you. There you go. Um, I yeah, remember yep. being like mid to late September and there being some like, you know, potential Heisman talk about Kenny Pickett. And I was like, okay, like, let's all get our heads on straight. Like Kenny Pickett's not going to win the the Heisman. Let's pump the brakes. They just lost to Western Michigan. Let's all pump the brakes. Grow up, calm down. It's going to be fine. Like he's not going to win the Heisman, but like he's, he's definitely doing better this year than maybe we thought he would do. (laughs) And then Mike, uh, army and Navy played. And then later that night, Kenny Pickett's sitting there next to Bryce Young and CJ Stroud and, what Aiden Hutchinson, I think, in New York at the yep. Heisman ceremony, and I just that definitely caught me way off guard. I I do not regret not predicting that or uh, expecting that. I I think, and I'm not going to slander Kenny Pickett on this particular podcast, and I you know I have thoughts on him, but I think he had a really good season. I do not believe it was something that I really feel like I should have seen coming. Um the way that I feel like I maybe could have, should have seen coming North Carolina, not being as good as they were. So to me, I think that's maybe the thing that I should have expected was there were a lot of people in the off season, Mike talking about how questionable North Carolina's offensive line had been. There's a lot of talk about how many skill position players that they were losing on their offense. And I said, I hear that, but I don't care. I think, Sam Howell is really, 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 really good. And I think he's going to overcome all that. And that, Mike, 
I was wrong about. I should have seen it coming a little bit, you know, I think to some degree. I think there was maybe a little bit of unpredictability in the level that he just incredibly locked on to Josh Downs in particular all year, struggled to throw it to anybody else. Um, I think there was maybe a little bit that I should have seen that maybe there was a little bit of something special about the two running backs who had left the previous year uh, that Ty Chandler, good running back, not that good. Um, yeah, right. So right. Some, some of that, I think to me, and I don't I mean to, I don't mean to just continue harping on my preseason expectations of Miami or of uh, North Carolina, sorry, versus what they ended up being. But like, there were a lot of warning signs and people waving flags that I was just like, mm, no, nah, I don't care. I, I think I'm good. I, I, I mean, I know what I, to expect. Yeah. But again, like I tried to tell you that, but I, I don't think that you can beat yourself up over the fact that they won six games. I picked him at 10 I and think, two. Like, <laughs> like, no, I mean, your pick, your pick sucks, but <laughs> I don't, we didn't, we didn't think that they were going to be sick. Like, I disagreed with you, and again, I didn't think they would only win six games. Mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of preposterous when you have a quarterback that's that good. But yeah, I mean, maybe we should have seen it coming, but maybe seen it coming from the standpoint of them winning like eight and not winning the division versus winning six. I mean, it's a shocker. Yeah. Oh, it for sure was. For sure was. And maybe it's it's not going to be a shocker anymore because now you know Mac Brown's got a track record here at Carolina of his teams underperforming. So, I'm not going to make that mistake next year, neither are you. I'm going to make sure of that. Yeah. You I, and I are picking Pitt. You and I are picking Pittsburgh to win the Coastal next year with Keaton Slovis. <laughs> who, okay. who else are you picking? Uh, who else are you picking? Well, that that was exactly where my mind went was like Pittsburgh. Why would you pick them instead of I thought about this today while walking the dog, Joey, because I knew we were going to talk about some stuff tonight on the show. And I was walking the dog today and I was thinking about the coastal because I'm I'm a sicko. And I was thinking, OK, who's going to win the coastal next year? Because I knew we would be talking about how bad the Carolina and Miami picks were. And I was like, all right, who's our pick going to be next year? Well, <sighs> let's run through it real fast. We got a little bit of time. Let's run through it real fast, Joe. Oh, you got UVA. Yeah, you, you, you got ahead of me here because, yeah. There, there is no way that I want Pittsburgh instead of Miami with a new coach, Virginia Tech with a new coach, Virginia with a new coach, North Carolina with a new quarterback, Georgia Tech, who's never been any good under their current coach, or Duke with a new coach. And think about it, so too. Like, I take guess it a, Pittsburgh, a, then, I guess? I, well, I mean, just take it, take it even a step further. Duke's replacing a quarterback, right? They're bad anyway. They're replacing a quarterback and some you know, Jake Bobo and, you know, some competent members of the offense, right? So they're taking a major step back. UVA has Brandon Armstrong returning, but their defense literally can't stop anything, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe UVA finishes a little bit higher in the coastal, but their defense is bad. Virginia I- Tech, I mean, they're totally replacing the entire two deep, and they got multiple quarterbacks now, but I don't know if any of them are any good, mm-hmm. right? And Brent Price, the coach, I mean, they'll be lucky to make a bowl game next year. Georgia Tech, probably not making a bowl game next year. Jeff Collins is on the hot seat. Um who Jeff am Collins I? Win missing? like maybe eight games to save his job. So yeah, so so he's toast. North Carolina, um, yeah, like new quarterback, knew a lot of stuff. They had receivers mm-hmm. transferring out. They got a lot of talent, sure, but once again, like Mac Brown doesn't necessarily 
like have his schemes live up to expectations. So you really content pick North Carolina to win the division. Miami, they, they, new coach, new quarterback. Carolina might need to win the division to save Mac's job, frankly. Right. I I agree. And he'll probably be a forced retirement. I said Miami had a had a new quarterback. I mean, I assume Van Dyke will still be the quarterback. Uh, but I mean, first year's, you know, first true year as a starter, he's got some experience under his belt, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of moving pieces there on both sides of the ball. New coach, transition, transfer portal, a lot of stuff going on there. I think think the pick's gotta be Pittsburgh. They they landed Keith Slovis out of the transfer portal. Um they got a lot of talent returning still on on defense and on offense. I think I think Pitt's got to be the pick. It sounds absurd, but we're gonna it, as we sit here in January. That's my pick. It's an absolute process of elimination thing. And by the way, keep this in mind in terms of like the uh, cross division crossover game. Pitt cleared Clemson by beating them this year. Mm-hmm. So somebody else is gonna have to deal with Clemson in addition to Georgia Tech. Like Pitt's gonna win this th- this division next year by process of elimination and uh, like at what like five and three in the conference like and that'll be good enough they'll have enough tiebreakers it'll be great <laughs> yeah yeah it's gonna be the, the winner's gonna be eight and four five and three with tiebreakers in, yeah. in conference play <sighs> and the winner of the Atlantic is I mean <laughs> man you I said don't you know. said I mean, you said Pittsburgh's gonna win the coastal next year. And I felt like I was like being shot out of a cannon, like, oh no, they're not. Like somebody else is gonna jump up and do it. And then like the the more that I started digging into the other teams, the more I was like, uh might not uh, be wrong. On paper. If not Pitt, then who, I guess. Yeah, like Right. Goodness. Right. And um, the, the Atlantic's gonna be the Atlantic's gonna be interesting because Clemson is replacing a lot of coaching staff. Oh yeah. And um I have you Clemson know, opinions, it. by the way. Not for this show, yeah. for another show. Yeah. Um, I will probably pick Clemson to win the Atlantic because I don't think Wake replicates a 10-win season again. So that's my thought. And I just don't think any of the other teams are good enough. So that's kind of maybe maybe NC State. You know, maybe NC State can contend. BC, I think, has got too many holes. Dracovic's back, so I think that'll be good. He'll be and healthy. And say flowers. And say flowers. Um, but, I mean, they had some issues on defense, too. So, man, not, that, I mean, this is That's the one team, weird. though, that I look at in the conference that was way different from our preseason projections in a way that makes complete and total sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 We knew we knew that they would be because we knew what the quarterback situation was behind your COVID. We knew they were one injury away and and from, they got that injury early in the season and there it went like that was it. Yeah. And, and they got your COVID back, but he was not good when he came back. He wasn't. Like, he wasn't not. Right. He wasn't right. Like, let's not let's not pretend like he wasn't right. Um, and we've seen Phil Dracovic play. I mean, that that was not. What what we saw at the end of the year, that was not Phil Dracovic. That was an injured version of him. He rushed back to try to help the team, good for him or whatever, but I don't think it was beneficial for him to do that. Mm-hmm. So, good teammate, but I don't think it helped you. No. Individually. Not really. Uh, Mike, game of the year. Does anything come to mind? 
There were a few for me. Wake NC State was real good. That was a hell of a game. It was so uh, that might that might be the leader in the clubhouse. Um, Notre Dame, Florida State on Labor Day. Oh, that was fun. Real, real good. Mm-hmm. Um, North Carolina, ooh. NC State was ridiculous. That was and good. Awesome. That was a good game. Uh, yeah, that was Pitt, a good game. Pitt, North Carolina was a ridiculous Thursday night game that ended in a monsoon and <laughs> that game was nuts and a lot of fun. Yep. Um, I would say oh, honestly, Louisville, Florida state was a lot of fun. Um, that game got into the second half and Florida state was making a charge, but just kind of couldn't quite get it done. But at least as a Louisville fan, I was like on the edge of my seat the entire fourth quarter thinking that Florida state was going to punch it in and Louisville's defense just kind of, wouldn't let them. Yeah. That was awesome. Clemson NC State overtime game. In yes. Death Valley. Yeah, that was good. That was really good. Um yeah, there were a couple of NC State games where all of a sudden, like in the final three minutes or so plus overtime, that like Emeka Mezzi became friggin' like Calvin Johnson, basically. Um just unguardable. Yeah. Yep. That was awesome. Um, I'll say this, and I, I, I take no pleasure in pointing out that the Virginia Tech-Notre Dame game I thought was a great game. I was there. I agree. <laughs> it was I a agree. Hell of a that game. was a really good game. That was crazy. That was a wild last three minutes, three or four minutes. It sucks for you that the Hokies lost that game, but yeah, the, the fact, the, the way that that game you know, turned out in the final six, seven minutes was pretty crazy, so... Yeah, I looked up at the scoreboard. It was, you know, four minutes left. Tech's up 18 to 13. I do wonder, you know, if Virginia Tech had, had you know, a couple of goal line type situations and, and short yardage situations had gone Virginia Tech's way this year, if they still would have fired Fuente. I know mm-hmm. that sounds absurd, but like the West Virginia game where – they had four chances inside the five after a gift interception because Jarek Dagey is dog water, a quarterback for West Virginia. He's transferring, by the way, because he's not any good. Um, and, you know, I, I wonder if that goes a little bit differently, if the Notre Dame game, like, doesn't go perfectly for the Irish there down the stretch. You know, a crazy touchdown catch and a two-point conversion and – you know, the ball doesn't go through Trey Turner's hands on a bomb that the Burmeister threw, like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I do wonder, I, but th- this is how Fuente teams operated too. <laughs> so I don't want to dive into it too much, but I do wonder, like some of the very close games, the, the BC game was just very strange. You know, Burmeister got hurt early and they didn't have him, and Jakovic sucked, so I don't want to act like he, he came back. and did. I mean, he had a touchdown run, but he wasn't any good. Virginia Tech had like 15 yards of offense. <laughs> like, said, the more that I look at it, the more that Virginia Tech had like probably a solid like four of the ACC's like 20 best games this year. And the problem is that like it's just they went two and two in those games. I mean, they beat North Carolina opening weekend. I mean, that was a hell of a game back and forth. Uh, they lost to Syracuse the last second in like absolute crushing fashion. Oh uh, God, I didn't even remember. Yeah, I forgot about the Syracuse game. That, yeah. That's a game they should have won too. Yeah, uh, Syracuse. The only Virginia Tech loss that truly just like was not. I mean, the, the Miami game was a whole different animal. But the uh, 
the games that I can think of that just like flat out weren't competitive. The one that sticks out is the Pittsburgh game. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, Virginia Tech doesn't, doesn't belong. Mm-hmm. You know, Pitt's a better team. They don't belong in this game. But Syracuse, West Virginia, Notre Dame, like there's three one score games right there. Well, and the and, win over UVA. And the win over UVA, where, you know, we decided to throw it to a left tackle. Thought that was a good idea. <laughs> what you on third down? So that was silly. What not you that made that decision? <laughs> yeah, couldn't be me. <laughs> yeah. Nah, the Mike McDaniel offensive coordinator is getting NFL head coaching job looks. <laughs> I will not accept a Mike McDaniel slander on this podcast. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, yeah. Other than that, I mean, my Yellow Jackets. I mean, mm. interest Northern uh, Illinois. Yeah, what? for the for yeah bad reasons, I guess like decent game against Northern Illinois to open the year. Uh, they lost in an interesting competitive game week three against Clemson. Uh, it was a six-point loss that, in retrospect, like, not pretty, but, yeah, I mean, competitive and interesting given context we had then. Uh, right. The Duke win was a last second, like, with 30 seconds left. Jeff Sims just, like, chucks one over the top, and I, I forget who it was. Was it uh, was it Adonica Sanders or someone who just kind of came down with it in one-on-one coverage in the end zone to, to win the game? That was crazy. And then the other one that sticks out is the uh, Virginia loss, where the scoreboard says 48-40. to 40. They were down by three touchdowns with like a minute and a half left, and then got two onside kicks and had the ball on like the 35-yard line or something as uh, time was running out and couldn't quite get it all done, but uh, they made it interesting there at the very end. So, hey, give them credit for that, I guess. Um, right. But, yeah. yeah. Anyways, Lots of fun yeah. games in the ACC this year, Mike. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. So some weird, some weird results too. I mean, Jeff Collins is just glad Sid wasn't on schedule. <laughs> yes, he is. As am I. As am I. Uh, <laughs> as, as am I. As a Georgia Tech fan. <laughs> uh, Mike, we have a couple more things we need to get to here before we get out of here. But before we do, we need to remind the people about the section 103com uh, Mike, it is the best place on the internet to go buy Georgia Tech apparel uh, it, by a, a mile. Um, they have yes. apparel with the official, uh, the proper old gold that Georgia Tech uses, which, again, hard to find. The official Georgia Tech wordmark, both the Tech and Georgia Tech, and they've got the ATL logo. Uh, all those things that are, are very hard to find elsewhere, but you can go find it at section103.com. Um, Mike, they have t-shirts, they have v-necks, they've got sweatshirts, hoodies, like something for the whole family, something for men, women, children, everybody. Go find it at section103.com. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first purchase. I've got a bunch of it. I have no regrets about any of it. I've actually lent out a couple of my sweatshirts to people you know, to just borrow when I'm going to play softball, like on Thursday nights or whatever. And they're like, yep. holy cow, where did you get this? And I'm like, well, let me tell you, brother section103.com use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order uh, anyways and, and that's exactly how I say it by the way to just random people I play softball with here in Houston um, yes so go do that use section103.com they are, that is the best place on the internet that I can find to buy Georgia Tech apparel um, all sorts of great things there go check it out once again use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order 
go do that. Uh, Mike, two more things before we get out of here. Number one, we have a mailbag question that we need to get to. Yes. Number yep. two, we need to bring up one more thing that we mentioned previously, but we're going to hit the mailbag question before we do that. Let's uh, do that. This one comes from my buddy Adam Parker, uh, a good friend of mine uh, who lives down here in Houston with me. He's a big Georgia Tech guy. He says, hey, Mike and Joey, for the past few years, Jeff Collins' calling card has been that, well, at least he can recruit, while minimum gains have been seen on the field. My question is, is this actually true at Georgia Tech? Has there been any Collins recruit outside of Gibbs, and Jameer Gibbs, and maybe Kyrick McGowan, the transfer, I don't know, that has been an immediate impact or has superseded the quality of coaching that we have seen? Like his recruiting classes outside of his first have been in the 40s, and I've seen very little potential in the recruits that we have, and the fact that recruits are leaving is concerning if he's such a good player's coach. We all know he's a little bit of a snake oil salesman at this point, but is he even near the top of the pyramid scheme? Side note, having your four-year head coach say in a press conference that it's time to move on from branding and time to focus on football is, I don't even know if I have words for that. Hope you have a wonderful holiday season. Go Jackets. And I agree, Mike. Virginia's awesome. Thank you to Adam. Uh, Mike, we can start with you. What are your thoughts on Jeff Collins and recruiting? I'm I'm good. I'm good, except for the last part of that email. But uh, which whatever. was? I'm I'm sorry. One one more time. It uh, was Virginia's awesome. That's correct, Mike. They are. Oh man. <laughs> what do I think of Georgia Tech's recruiting? Well, I think it's been pretty good. I think the coaching sucks. <laughs> like I I have now a similar opinion in North Carolina where North Carolina is recruiting obviously on a bit of a different level than Georgia tech, but yeah, I mean, bring the talent in, but don't coach them up. It's been Miami's issue for years, right? So you got to have both. I mean, you know, I I think people lose sight of the fact that, you know, college football is very much driven by recruiting. Like we know that the better you recruit, the the better the chances you have to, to build depth and build championship level teams. But if you can't coach worth a damn, it doesn't really matter. And especially in the age and era of the transfer portal, if guys are coming in and they're getting recruited and you're coming in with like this great recruiting class and you get there and realize that you're not getting the best teaching on the football field that you can possibly get, you can leave Mm -hmm. and you can leave now more quickly. And it's more accessible to get to another school than any time in the past. Like this is the era of de facto college football free agency. So there's two different types of recruiting now. And I'm not, I'm not just talking about the transfer portal and then high school recruiting. I'm talking about the fact that once you get these guys in the door, you have to continue to recruit them, right? When they're already on your roster, Yeah. you have to make sure that the guy that you have in there slotted in to build up that wide receiver or running back, that it makes sense for him to stick it out. You have to convince him of that because if he thinks he can go elsewhere and start, he's going to leave now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very different. Not that guys didn't transfer before, but now that you have the portal, there are more people who are looking to transfer than any time in the past mm-hmm. um, to the, to the fact now that there's, more guys in the transfer portal than slots available on FBS rosters. So it is really just open season in terms of, in terms of recruiting, like you got to recruit well, then you got to keep them in the door and then you got to develop that talent and that depth either through the transfer portal or through continuous high school recruiting. 
Jeff Collins has recruited fine. You know, his staffs have recruited well, better than Paul Johnson, certainly. But when you and I look at the state of Georgia Tech football, I think we'd be in agreement, Joey, that this team was much better coached under Paul Johnson than they are under Jeff Collins. Oh, yeah, by a mile. Like, and it's it's one of those things. I I, I started thinking about that. Started thinking about it in these terms in the last like couple of days is like there's there's a certain level of recruiting I feel like you can do that. So like put it this way, like if go go back and look, you know, maybe like mid 2010s, uh, like Butch Jones, Tennessee, like they were recruiting at a consistently like top 15 level, you know, a, a lot of times like top 12 ish level. If you were to take one of those Tennessee teams at some point and drop them into the ACC Coastal, like, yeah, they could probably go eight and four. Those were not well-coached teams, but they were just, they were so talented that they could just like, you know, trip their way and fall into like an eight and four record. Like, you know, they could accidentally do things a few times a game to score touchdowns and create turnovers. Like, and, and just, they were that much more talented than the average ACC team would be. And is Georgia yep. Tech's recruiting better now under Jeff Collins than it was under Paul Johnson? Absolutely. Like night and day, I'll say night and day. I mean, it was it, it's way better now than it was under Paul Johnson. Absolutely. Like give them every bit of credit for that. They've built the infrastructure, you know, the the identity change, you know, whatever. Like they're better than that. But but the thing is, they're not so good at this point that they can just take that talented of a roster into the ACC for whatever reason and just roll their helmets out there and win seven or eight games a year. No, They're not. They have enough. They have plenty of talent to do that. But as we've discussed, it's, it's, I mean, that's just the first piece of the puzzle is the recruiting piece. What you do with them after they're in the door then becomes, you know, what turns into your record. And I mean, between right. the schematics and the player development and, and all of that, like the, just the general coaching piece of it is where they have been totally lacking. Um, so like, has the roster been upgraded? Yeah, I think so. And this is where I've, I've started making the point in the last month or so is if, and when Jeff Collins wins, I don't know, five, six games next year, he's almost certainly going to get relieved of his duties. And then whoever they bring in for 2023 is going to have a really good roster. I think to work with right out the gate. Yeah. Like, yeah, there is talent there on the lines, at the skill positions, at the quarterback position, like all of it. So there, there is stuff to work with there. You just got to have somebody that knows how to mold the clay a little bit where I don't feel like Collins and the staff really have shown any amount of that. Yeah, I mean, think of it. There, there are just other situations in the ACC that you can compare coaching changes to, right? So like if if Mac Brown were to retire and like I mentioned, North Carolina is recruiting better than Georgia tech, but it's comparable from the standpoint of if Mac Brown were to retire, whoever steps in, whether it was somebody on the existing coaching staff or an outsider would have a pretty talented roster, mm -hmm. you know, full of young guys who are high three, low four. In some cases, you know, they got a couple five stars. So there's some talent there. Sure. Guys transfer out with coaching changes. We just discussed that, but you'd feel pretty good about the roster. You know, Mario Cristobal stepping into a situation at Miami, feeling probably pretty good about the roster. Manny DS recruited pretty well there. Mm -hmm. um, so he's not feeling too 
terribly about the roster, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Brent Pry or Tony Elliott, you know, Brent Pry at Virginia Tech, Tony Elliott, Mike Elko at Duke. Um, Duke's situation is a little bit different because there's only a certain type of guy you can get there. But UVA and Virginia Tech, they're capable of recruiting better than they have, right? Um, mm-hmm. UVA recruited really well under Mike London, didn't perform well. Bronco Mendenhall recruited worse than Mike London, but his teams performed better. Virginia Tech, Fuente didn't recruit well at all. Um, and his teams performed basically to the level that he recruited, which they basically just kind of met met the standard or they were a little bit worse relative to the athlete they were getting in the door. It wasn't acceptable for Virginia Tech, but if you're just going to have like the 75th ranked recruiting class in the country or the 45th ranked recruiting class in the country, expect to win six or seven games, mm-hmm. right? So relative to that, yeah, performing to expectations, not to Virginia Tech's expectations, but to the expectations of the guys they're recruiting. So Brent Pry is kicking over a complete rebuild. So you can look at this in different ways, but I do think if the Georgia Tech job were to open, I do think there's enough talent on the roster that even with some turnover can be retained so that a new coach be feeling pretty good about what he's taking over. I think ultimately what I have come away with as I've I've thought about this in particular for the past couple of weeks is I don't think that Georgia Tech is a job, is a school, is a position, a program that almost anybody is capable of recruiting to at a level that you can basically get away with, you know, poor coaching and still put up good results on the scoreboard. Um, Right. You're just not going to come away with like top 10 classes and stuff that will have your program so obscenely talented relative to its competition that you can kind of mask some of the coaching deficiencies at the end of the day, you have got to, you know, you can bring in more talented guys than you're playing against, but only to a level that gives you an advantage. If you are actually coaching them at a similar or better level than, or, you know, being coached against you. So agree. Yep. That's, that's the thing is, you know, it, it is advantageous, you know, relative to, Duke or, you know, take your pick of a number of coastal schools. You've got great recruiting territory. You're in Atlanta, right? Like there are, there is talent there for the taking there. There are disadvantages that are inherently playing against you as well. And this is one of those things that maybe we'll get into a little bit later this off season. But the point is like it, it, it is advantageous. It is not without its limitations, but you, th- there is still more work to be done beyond just the recruiting trail, I think, to, to really maximize this program where it's at. Absolutely. So uh, that's all I got, Mike, on that question. I thought that was a well-thought-out answer. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Shout-out to Adam, my buddy Adam Parker, for a, a well-thought-out question. Uh, and, and appreciate your Shout-out, Adam. And uh, sorry it took... 34 days, I think, from your uh, submission to actually get to it. But, you know, as bowl season, end of season, you've, and, you know, the whole thing. You've probably seen him like five times since he's written that email. <laughs> well, Adam has like a two and a half month old. So, uh, <laughs> so no, I have not. Just kidding. <laughs> so, okay, fair enough. No, fair enough. We, I will be joining the ranks of fatherhood shortly. So I understand that. Yeah, we, we played golf uh, this, the weekend before. Labor Day weekend when the whole season kicked off. So that was that was the last time I believe I saw Adam in person. Oh my god. 
I don't think I saw him in person throughout the entire Braves playoff run, but anyways, we'll, you know, we'll see him soon. Uh, we talked about a poker night soon, so we'll, we'll uh, give the update on that on the next, next show we do. I've, I've almost seen you more recently. That is, yeah, almost, <laughs> almost. Yeah. Within a few weeks. Mike, last thing that we need to talk about, and uh, I alluded to this just a second ago. Um, we mentioned our last show, we, we opened our last show uh, talking about a, a, a bit of a program or a series that we want to do this off season called tell us about your team. Um, and we just want to remind the people that that is something that we plan on doing. Um, and, and ultimately what we want to do here is try to educate not only, you know, myself, Mike, but also you, uh, but also our listeners, like realizing that there are 14 teams in the ACC you and I are alumni of two of them and have really good, deep working knowledge of two of them. And there's 12 more that a lot of people listening to this show have deep working knowledge of, you know, why did the program, you know, where did it come from? Uh, you know, what is the history of it? What are the politics that go on? You know, what is the culture around the school and the program and the, and the surrounding areas? And like, I, I, I want to know everything. And so what, basically what we wanted to do is bring on uh, fans of this show, you know, people who listen and people who understand these programs at a deeper level. The ones that are, especially that are messaging us on Twitter, like weekly after we say something on the preview. And then they're like, I don't think you understand, you know, like you missed this or you forgot about that. Or, you know, it's actually like this. We, we want that. Like we want to get it. We want to understand it. And so if, if you are one of those people that you get your program better than we can explain it, Please let us know because we want to bring you on and we want to try to, you know, try to understand it a little better as we go through this offseason. And Mike, I think one of the craziest, coolest moments so far in this podcast, we've been doing this for the better part of six years now. We announced this on our previous show, on our bowl recaps show. Uh, and we said we want people to to reach out and let us know if you want to want to volunteer for this. And one of the things that we said was uh, we believe, you know, we understand that there are certain programs whose listeners, you know, represent are represented better than others. You know, basically like, again, there's a lot of Georgia tech fans, Virginia tech fans, Miami fans, Virginia fans that listen to the show. There's other programs in the ACC that are almost maybe not represented at all. And I, Mike, I will be damned if the first email that we got in response to that was not from one of the programs, and I'm not going to tell everybody which one it is right now, but I'm going to tell you right now. One of the programs that I didn't even know if we had anybody that was a fan of that program yeah. listening, the yep. first email we got was somebody saying, hey, can I help talk about this program? And I was like, what? Like, absolutely. Like, holy cow. So uh, if if that's something that, if you're interested in coming on and talking to Mike and I for 30, 45 minutes, you know, telling the people about your program, is it, NC State? Is it Wake Forest? Is it Virginia? Is it, you know, Georgia Tech? Is it Florida State? Like, whatever. Let us know. We would love to hear it. So email us, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, Nailed it. Thank you. Thank you. At FTRS Joey, at Mike McDaniel SOS, at BC Podcast ACC on Twitter. The DMs are open. Like, let us know. We would love to have you on sometime this offseason. It's a long, cold offseason. Uh, we've got the time, so anytime we can make it work, we would love to have you on. Please, please let us know. Keep us informed.
Yeah, hundred percent. So keep reaching out. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Mike, that's the last thing I had on this episode. Anything else? Solid regroup. Pretty good. Pretty good. Been a couple weeks, but good to get back together. Get back on the horse. Yeah, no doubt about it. You want to get out of here? The horse is on him. (laughs) 67, get on your horse. Get on your horse. Shout out Sanford Steve. Um, The horse is on him. (laughs) Goodness. SVP, baby. Love it. Absolute classic. Uh, Mike, do we need to do like the outro here or just want to bail? Uh, bail, please. Okay. All right. Well, hey. Mostly because I'm mostly because I'm tired. Yeah. No. I, I, unbel- yeah. Totally. Uh, <laughs> all right, man. Well, good talking to you. Enjoyed it. Uh, yeah. Thank you all. It was good. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. Love you. Thank you. Uh, let us know if you want to contribute to the Tell Us About Your School series this offseason. We'd love that. All right. Oh, we're, oh, we're still recording. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, we'll be back next week. Sure. Yeah, we'll see. Tell us what you want us right, to talk yeah, about. We'll see. Let us know. Uh, all right. For Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. Until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.